Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. For tonight, continuing on the arc of the narrative of Mark, we're backing up a little bit into Mark chapter 10. Um, From that third passion narrative at the end of chapter 10, we read last week, um, and we'll be reading from the sort of middle of the chapter, Mark 10, 17 through 31, and the theme for tonight is, we cry out for security. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? (laughs) Jesus said to him, Why are you calling me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother, yada, yada, yada. And the man said to Jesus, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell what you own and give the money to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the reign of God. They were greatly astounded and said to one another, well, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, well, for mortals it's impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. Peter began to say to him, look, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of this good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I just, I want to just talk about the many possessions that man had. I mean, what were they? That's what Mark says, that he walked away from Jesus shocked and grieving because he had many possessions. Just imagine with me, the man goes home from there. So what does that look like in your mind's eye? I mean, how rich was he? 
I confess that my imagination immediately westernizes and modernizes the house where he pulls into a two-car garage and lowers the door with the touch of a button. He grabs a bottle of fizzy water from the fridge as he makes his way to the leather recliner in front of a 50-inch TV where he always goes to sulk after not getting his way. Somewhere along the route, he's exchanged his work suit and tie for a hoodie. The TV goes to background noise while he scrolls endlessly on his pocket computer, catching up with friends and acquaintances and strangers and all their stuff. He mutters to himself, the nerve of that dirty little rabbi, I bet I could get him fired. He has no idea how very many possessions I possess. Or I think of my parents' attic in the days before they moved away from the town I grew up in. After 35 years in the same house, the boxes and bins in that space above the garage had multiplied. The masking tape that once held them together had disintegrated. No one remembered what most of them held anymore, but it seemed important that we go through them one by one, touching each object, calling to mind what it had once meant, deciding over and over and over again whether to keep it and whose attic it would go in next. <laughs> Maybe mine. Maybe my sister's, maybe my parents' new one in College Station. Over years of accumulation, we had lost track of the sheer number of possessions our family of origin possessed. Or I think of Galileo Church's collection of stuff for worship, for our life together. You know there was a time when every single thing we owned fit in a tiny, tiny closet in the back of the Far Best Theater in downtown Mansfield. Only one person could get to that closet at a time. It was stacked to the ceiling with crates and candles. Oh, well, these crates and many of these candles and these blocks that say what they say about God's love and the same narrow table for communion made out of old grocery pallets. But let me tell you, our collection has grown. We now have a wide assortment of thrift store dishes for communion displayed on the wall. And I don't know if you're aware, but there is an attic over our head lined with shelves filled with, I don't know, baskets and scrap lumber and extra toilet paper and a couple dozen croquet mallets made from plastic flamingos, a la Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, we own that. Mm -hmm. Far more and, yes, weirder possessions than we ever thought we would possess. The man talking with Jesus, though, when his mind flashes to his many possessions, the ones that Jesus says he should liquidate immediately, turning over the proceeds to the poor, that is, to people without possessions, is probably not thinking of crates or candles or cars or his collection of Hummel figurines. His possessions are probably not pieces of stuff in boxes or on shelves in his home. Possessions, in this case, probably means more like acquisitions. Think like a Monopoly board. He's made purchases. He's signed deeds. He is the registered owner of investment properties spread out over a wide region, land that he probably leases back to former owners who couldn't keep up the payments, 
renters who farm the fields that once belonged to their fathers, tenants who look to him to manage and maintain what he owns. His many possessions are not knickknacks or keepsakes or power tools. They are his livelihood and his legacy. They are the cultivated wealth that he will pass on to his sons someday. I mean, how long would it take, should he decide to take Jesus' dare, to sell it all and give the profit away? The paperwork alone would require seasons of diligent effort. I hope it's okay if I say that here is an instance of Jesus' naivete about money and economics, about what it takes to make a living and provide for your family and be a responsible grown-up. In contrast to the man with many possessions, Jesus really doesn't own anything much. I mean, we're going to learn later on from Mark that those soldiers on execution duty that day divided up his clothing. They literally threw dice to decide who got what. And sometimes early in his gospel, Mark says that Jesus went home as if he's got a little bungalow in the heart of Capernaum. I don't know. But all we know about that place is that the roof has been ruined by guys digging through the thatch to get their friend close enough for the Messiah's help. If he repaired it himself or scheduled contractors to do it, we never hear about it. Jesus just doesn't really do possessions. And so in some sense, he doesn't really do the expected adult encumbrance of investment and caretaking the present-day management of one's assets that future planning requires. The man is all about future planning, you'll notice. His portfolio must be in pretty good shape, clicking along without crisis. I say that because he's had some time to think, some energy to spare for wondering about what's missing from his inventory of stuff. Oh, 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 that's it. Though he has been a decent adherent of religious law for most of his life, uh, you know, except for a couple wild years after high school when he was just out from under his parents' watchful eye. You know how it goes. Though he is a member in good standing at the local synagogue, what he'd really like is to get this deal done. You know, finish the transaction, sign on the line for his guaranteed slot in the suite by and by. That's basically what he asks Jesus for, a contract he can take to the bank. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or more loosely translated, what do I have to put into this deal to get out of it what I want? It's an astonishingly old question that people of a certain kind of faith have been asking each other for a long time. What do I have to do to get to heaven? Notice that Jesus changes the terms of the question when he debriefs the disciples later. The man asked about eternal life about a heavenly reward in the life to come for services rendered in the here and now. But when Jesus brings it up to his friends later, he says, how hard it will be for a person with wealth to enter the reign of God. 
And again, when he can see that the disciples haven't quite got it, he calls to mind the absurdity of trying to thread a camel through the eye of a sewing needle and reiterates, this is how hard it is for someone who is rich to enter the reign of God. And the disciples know, as we know, because we've all been hanging out with Jesus for a long time, and we've heard him expound on the reign of God again and again and again and again, that this is not, for him, a theoretical future in a faraway place with pearly gates and golden streets. The reign of God for Jesus is a present reality, the right now subversion of economic and political systems that appear to run the world. The reign of God, he says, is a conspiracy. The reign of God is a secret seed planted in land you do not own, sprouting bushy branches that offer protection and peace to every bird of the air, whether or not they hold title or can pay rent. The reign of God ruins the householder's bookkeeping when a dishonest slave forgives debts in hopes of making friends. The reign of God pays all the laborers the same, even the ones that only clocked in for the last half hour of the workday. The reign of God searches for a lost coin and then throws a party for all the neighbors, spending more than the lost and found coin was ever worth. The reign of God, the reign of God leaves 99 perfectly healthy, perfectly profitable sheep for the sake of one daft lamb. The reign of God is a threat, he said, to possessions, an undermining of economic valuation, a mischievous troll in the household that seeks security and stability through wise investing and responsible tending of one's assets. <laughs> See, and then here comes this man, a paragon of economic success and sound judgment, looking to do another deal Ethics and good deeds in exchange for a reservation at the heavenly banquet. And Jesus says, no. Or a little more expansively, Jesus says, you know, we should spend more time together, you and I. I know you're encumbered with responsibility. Take the time you need to cut yourself loose from it all. I'll wait. Hold a fire sale. Everything must go. And when you are free... Uh, when you are really free, when your hands are empty, well, come hang out with us. Follow me. See where this road goes. Maybe you'll find what you're looking for. See, one thing Jesus is not naive about, one assessment that he can do in a heartbeat and never miss, is the content of someone else's heart. That is to say, he knows what you love. He knows what you believe in. He knows what you would give anything to have more of. He knows what makes you feel safe. He knows what makes you feel worthy. He knows what makes you feel strong. And if he sees that in you, 
and assesses that whatever it is, is an impediment to your full engagement in the reign of God, your complete participation in the risky, subversive, faithful gamble that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that God gets everything God wants. If he recognizes in you a hunger for anything other than justice, a yearning for anything other than God's dream of everyone sitting under their own vine and their own fig tree, he says, no. He says, that thing in there, that thing in your heart, that thing you cherish and tend to and worry over and love, that thing's got to go. I mean, if you're interested in what I'm doing, it's got to go. Because what I'm not interested in, Jesus says, is taking up residence as one of your many tenants, another client that you have to take care of, one of your many investments that you tend to in order to secure your future. Everything else you care about has got to go if you want to be with me. And yes, friends, he says to his disciples, he says to us, I know, I know what I'm asking is hella hard. And yeah, it's hella harder for people who have a lot of entanglements, who have been banking on their wealth, for example, to keep them safe. <laughs> it's hard like threading a needle with a camel, which can be done if you're God. But have you seen what that camel looks like on the other side of that needle? Think about it. Peter, raising his hand to speak for a lot of us, I'm sure, just wants to make sure, Jesus, do you have an up-to-date inventory of all that my friends and I have already given up to go on this extended road trip with you? <laughs> I mean, really, with a guy who may or may not be about to get himself killed, and maybe them too. Look at us, Jesus, look. We left nets and boats and families and jobs, not necessarily in that order, to be with you. You didn't have to ask us twice. And Jesus agrees with Peter for once. <laughs> it's true. It's true that the subversive good news of God's reign, of God getting everything God wants, sometimes costs more than possessions. It costs people. If you insist on living into the life that God wants for you, if you unapologetically answer the call to be the queer, quirky, quality person that God made you to be, leaning into the future God dreams about for the whole human family, yeah, you could lose beloveds for that. Again, Jesus is not naive about this potential cost, and neither are we. If you stand with your kid when they come out, you could lose a slew of friends. You could even lose a church over that. If you yourself are gay and you want to marry the person you love most in the whole world, you may have to say those vows without your parents or grandparents in the room. If you... Use your voice right out loud to assert the human rights and dignity of every person on this planet. Oh, you could find your social circle contracting seriously. I mean, there are people who will groan when they see you coming. Trust me on this one. 
But I promise you, he says, Jesus says, I promise you I can make that risk worth your while. With me, you lose people, sure, but you get back people, a whole community of folks who are ready to be your siblings, your parents, your people. I have no qualms about calling you to poverty, Jesus says, but I would never call you to loneliness. Truly, I tell you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of this good news who will not receive a hundredfold now in this age houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life, because God gets everything God wants, including you, including you in the house of God. I don't know if he thought he was being sneaky. I mean, Jesus isn't really that sneaky. Sliding in that little phrase, with persecutions, did you catch it? A hundredfold now in this age, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children's fields, with persecutions. Okay. Okay. You get back what you lost, but it hurts. It's not like Job in that weird parable from the Hebrew Bible who gets replacement sons and daughters for the ones the tornadoes carried off and seems just as happy with the new ones. That's, that's not really how people work. It's always going to hurt the ones you lose. But for right now, Jesus says, in this age, we're going to help each other through that. We're going to be family for each other the best we can. So look around, church. Scroll through that chat, online friends. These are your people. They all lost people too. But here we are together, and it doesn't make the hurt go away, but it makes it hurt a whole lot less. I don't think we're all that different from the man who didn't stick around. I mean, we've all got something that makes us feel safe and secure, strong and smart. Money, family, education, talent, health, beauty, guns, friends, religious tradition. <laughs> Jesus just wants to make sure we know that if we let that go, if we open our hands and release what we thought we had to have to be okay in this life, he's got us. He's got us. And there's nothing we need that we will not have. Do you believe that? Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship 
no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal, or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.